My beloved brothers and sisters, I was thinking today and meditating on it and how wonderful it is to serve a living God. Isn't it great to be a child of God in these days? To be able to sing songs to God. I was listening to a, a gospel song today, How Great Thou Art, and uh, while the singers were singing it and uh, the Holy Spirit was just touching my heart, I just realized how privileged we are in these days to be able to lift our eyes up into heaven and to serve and to praise a wonderful God, a God who's interested in each one of us, who is not only interested in us. I did the Bible study during the week and uh, that psalm that says, what is man that you think about him, that you even think about him? And when he uses the word the Enos, he talks about mankind. And then he says, even the son of Adam, Adam, that you would visit him. And surely my prayer through this message today is that God would visit you, that he would speak to you as we embarked on this wonderful voyage of, of this trip or this, uh, this journey that we're walking with Jesus through the book of Mark. And we've already seen some wonderful things that Jesus did. How wonderful he is, how powerful he is, how compassionate he is. And we're going to see some of his compassion today. And that compassion isn't dead. It is alive because we are serving a risen king. So take heart today. As you listen to the message today, I pray, I pray that God would touch your heart through this video and that he would speak to you personally today. So we studied through Mark and uh, we saw how that Jesus is compassionate with his people and we learn things from, from him. Mark writes this and, and I believe on good authority that Mark received this gospel from Peter himself. And if you look at those two men, they've got so many things alike. So I could understand if Mark uh, took a like in Peter and that Peter would have told him, give him this account of Jesus. And we are learning who Jesus is and why he came. And today we're going to see that he cares for us, for each one of us. And he sees us as his sheep and he is the shepherd. So today I want to talk to you about the topic, you give them something. You're going to find today in the message that that is the words of Jesus that he said to his disciples. When the crowds were there, he said to them, you give them something. And there's a, a question that comes with this. And I want you to contemplate this question as I'm going to go through and teach this passage, the feeding of the 5,000. So we find this in Mark chapter 6 and from verse 30 onwards. So please open up your Bible and follow me. Mark chapter 6 verse 30. Then the apostles gathered to Jesus and told him all things, both what they had done and what he had, to, uh, what they have taught. And he said to them, come aside by yourselves. Come aside by yourselves to a deserted place and rest a while. For there were many coming and going and they did not even have time to eat. So they departed to a deserted place in the boat by themselves. 
we find a very interesting and an important aspect here. And that is that Jesus calls them. They came and they gave a report of, you remember when he sent them out two by two to the houses, to the people of Israel, the Jews. And he said, if you come to a house and you say Shalom, and they say Shalom and, and receive the peace, then stay with them. And they came back very excited. And he told them everything that happened. And I must also say, during this time, we had this insert of the death of John the Baptist. We spoke about it last week. But they were so excited. And there's a lot of people that came and go and come and go. So excited that they didn't even have time to sit down and eat and to rest. My dear brother and sister, dear fellow ministers of the word of God, dear preachers, dear pastors, we need to learn a very, very important message from this. And that is that we need to rest as well. Each one of us, God gave us rest. Uh, we know in the creation when he created everything and on the seventh day that God rested. And so he made us to also rest. And it's equally important that even Jesus saw this and he calls them aside by themselves. And this rest is a rest away from other people. And we also find that Jesus did this so many times. I recall every single time that he came back and I read in the Gospels and there's a crowd and he did some healing and he did some preaching and he did some teaching that he would take time. And he would go aside, away from the crowd, spend time with the Father and rest. Rest is important. Rest is given by God. And it's important for us to understand that we need this rest. But there's also another principle here in this passage, in these few verses. And that is to rest so that we could be ready to resist the devil, the evil one. Uh, one thing out of this principle is that always what I find in ministry, and I've heard so many times when people, when they witness about something and there's a, there's a success or a victory, right after that victory is one of the dangerous times. That's when the enemy comes and he wants to attack you. When you go, the victory is won and you just want to sit back. And let the guard down. This rest year is not letting the guard down. This rest year is spending time with the Father. Restore the body. Get food in. Be nutritious. And this is the kind of rest that I see this. And, and the other thing about these verses is he said to them, depart to a deserted place. You and I need to have a deserted place. A place where we can be with God. And with his thoughts, away from people sometimes, withdrawn, so that when you go to them out again, you've got something to give them. But we'll come to that point. Um, but he also said, come to this deserted place for a, for a while. Not to stay there for too long. Because rest is given by God, but then there's also the day that needs to, to be worked in. And this is a good concept here that he gives them. Verse 33, but the multitude saw them departing. Remember, they got into the boat now and on the Sea of Galilee, and they were going to go over to the other side. And they were a multitude. The previous verses said that there were so many people, they coming and going. 
And now they saw them departing, and many knew him, and ran therefore on foot from all cities. They arrived before them and came together to him. And Jesus, when he came out, saw the great multitude and was moved with compassion for them. He was moved with compassion for them because they were like sheep not having a shepherd. So he began to teach them many things. So just think for yourself and put in your mind's eye how this boat that they were on and the boat back in those days could take 13 to maybe 15 men. Some of them were smaller. But I believe in this particular case, it was a bigger boat and they, they went over the sea. Now, the scripture says that when these people saw it, they started running from all of the cities. I want you to, I want you to experience the the need in their hearts, the desperation that they would run after Christ. In the previous chapters, he sent his 12 men out to them. And here we find that they run after Christ. And it says they because they knew him, many knew him. And they knew him because he was popular. You remember, he he's well known now as the healer. And they run to him, desperate. And it is a good thing if people run to Christ when, when they are desperate. They did the right thing. Let it be known. So many people, when they become desperate, run to the wrong places. And running to the wrong place makes your situation worse. But running to Jesus is the most wonderful thing. Because what are you going to get with Jesus? As I've said, if you go to the wrong places when you are desperate, you find trouble. You dig yourself a bigger hole. And it doesn't help you. And you keep on running, keep on running, keep on running. But when you run to Jesus, I can assure you, my friend, He will give you compassion. Because that's what you need when you're desperate. You need somebody who has compassion on you. We sing this song so many times and it moves me. He had compassion on me. He had compassion on me. And you know what? When I'm seeking, that compassion is the hand that reaches out to me. These people were running to him. And now I want you to feel the compassion of Jesus. He saw they need. And he knew exactly what they need were and he's going to address that. They were running. Now, who were they that were running? The passage says it so clearly. He identified these people running on foot, barefoot, legs sweating, tired, windy, you know, out of breath. They come running over the hillsides and he looks at them. And he, he compares them to sheep. He says that they are like sheep who's not having a shepherd. Now, what does this mean? What does it mean when Jesus starts talking like this? And this is an indictment 
on the shepherds, the so-called shepherds out there. It's an indictment. When Jesus looks over the crowd and he sees them as sheep and there's no shepherd. There's nobody who could lead them. These were sinners running, if you want to put it in a, in a spiritual context. Yes, they were running there physically because they had a need to, to be healed, to be heard, a need, an emptiness in their hearts. But if you apply the spiritual concept here, these people were sinners and they needed a guide. They needed a shepherd to bring them to the great shepherd. Now, of course, we find this in the Bible. This is no new news. In Ezekiel chapter 34 verse 1, we find the whole chapter there. And I implore you to go and read it in your own time. And that chapter is an indictment on every single pastor and minister who misuses the pulpit for own gain or for any other agenda except of bringing people to Christ. This chapter in Ezekiel chapter 34 is a warning to the shepherds. Because the prophet writes, And the word of the Lord came to me, Ezekiel, saying, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. When Jesus came out of the boat and he saw these people running, they were Israelites running to him from the cities. Because they needed a shepherd. And here he says, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, thus is the Lord God of the shepherds. Woe to the shepherds of Israel who feed themselves. And we see so many shepherds feeding themselves. First and foremost, with Jesus Christ as a product that they sell. I don't have to go into that. I don't want to waste time into that. You know what I'm talking about. And the, the prophet knows and God knows. And this is why I say it's an indictment. When Jesus looked over and he couldn't see a shepherd and they were running like sheep. He says, woe, woe to the shepherds of Israel who feed themselves. Should not the shepherds feed the flocks? Shouldn't they? Of course they should. You eat the fat and you clothe yourself with the wool. You slaughter the fatling. You do not feed the flock. The weak you have not strengthened, nor have you healed those who were sick, nor bound up the broken, nor brought back what was driven away, nor sought what was lost. But with force and cruelty you have ruled them. And I want to implore and ask you, to go around and see the shepherd which is doing these things. Because there is, a, there is a big woe. And I want you to understand if you see me through this video and hear my voice. Preacher, whoever you are. Pastor, whoever you are. Doesn't matter how big your ministry is. Doesn't matter how important you are. I want to tell you today what the word of God says through the prophet Ezekiel. And what God says in his own words, woe unto you if you feed yourself and you do not uphold the weaklings and you rule over them. A shepherd should not rule over the sheep. He should lead them into pastures. He says it right there in verse 5. So they were scattered. Who? Who was scattered? The sheep were scattered because there was no shepherd 
and they became food for all the beasts of the field when they were scattered. You see, when there is unity amongst the sheep, when there's unity in the church, that's when the church is strong. But now they were scattered and isolated and on their own, and the beast of the field could come and they could devour them. This is an indictment. I know I've repeated that word so many times, but I can't feel more stronger about this point than I'm saying, than God is saying here. This is why it is such a big message even to myself, to myself, that I need to keep on feeding the Word of God. In verse 6, hear the Word of God now. He says, My sheep wandered through all the mountains and on every hill. Yes, my flock was scattered over the whole face of the earth, and no one was seeking or searching for them. And no one, no one. Hence, when I see Jesus coming out and he looks over the mountains and he looks over in a distance and he see these people running to him, running because they've got a need, they've got a question. He looks at them and he had compassion on them. He touched their eyes and now they see. He touched their hearts and now they believe. He had compassion on them. Have you experienced this compassion? Are you one of those lost sheep? I've got good news for you. We have the great shepherd with us. And he's got compassion. Don't worry about these shepherds that I just talked about. Because the word of God is against them. And their day will come. As my day will come where I stand before God. And I will have to give an account for every word that I say. But you stand with the word and with the bread of life. So Jesus see this happening. And what did he do? They come running to him. So he start to teach them. He begin to teach them many things, the word says. So what did he teach them? What would he teach them? I believe he started teaching them the gospel. And what is the gospel? The gospel is him crucified. The gospel is eternal life. The gospel is the light in darkness. And this is what he started teaching them many, many things. And we, we get an indication of this. I just read to you Ezekiel and what he says about the shepherd. And he, he would have put himself as the shepherd for the sheep. Because it's no new news. He said it before. or He said it after this again. Uh, John chapter 10 verse 8. And I'm just parachuting in the verse here, but I want you to read the whole chapter. He says, all whoever came before me, this is Jesus speaking in John chapter 10 to, to his disciples. He says, everyone who came before him are thieves. And what does a thief do? He steals to satisfy himself. You see, in Ezekiel, what did he say? These shepherds, they fed themselves. They are thieves. They are thieves. He says before him, they are thieves and robbers. A thief comes by night. A thief steals from you when you don't know it. But a robber, he comes even by day and he, he robs from you. He steals from you while you're aware of it. And these two things are operating today. But the sheep did not hear them. Praise God for that. 
I am the door, he says. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. This is why I believe that he taught them many things, which was the gospel. He says, if you come by me, you will be saved and will, excuse me, will go in and out and find pasture. That's what the sheep wants, pasture. And they will come a long way for that pasture. And this is what he says. So Jesus see them running unto him and he had compassion on them. So let's continue with the narrative. In verse 35, in Mark chapter 6, 35, when the day was now far spent, he must have taught them a lot of things. Because the day far spent, he became late. His disciples came to him and said, this is a deserted place. Remember, he said to them, let's go to a deserted place to rest. Now they're in the deserted place. And guess what? These people run unto them. Now they are there. He started teaching them. Didn't try to find excuses. Didn't say I'm too tired. Didn't say I'm too hungry. That compassion was driving him. And let me just throw this in as a, as, as a one-liner. Your, your passion will drive you. Your pathos will drive you. Whatever your pathos is, we see it all over the world. Whatever people's hobby is, your pathos, that will drive you. You will spend money on it. You will spend time on it. You will, you will tire yourself to that passion. Jesus' passion was to preach the gospel, to save lives, to give that. And that was driving Jesus, even to the late hours of the day, sometimes without food. And uh, now they say it's a deserted place and already the hour is late. And verse 36, listen now what they say. Send them away. I want you to see the contrast here. Jesus had compassion. And these, and I'm not saying by far they didn't have compassion, but they're looking at a problem that's starting to, to come up. And they say, send them away. That they may go into the surrounding country and villages and buy themselves bread, for they have nothing to eat. But he answered to them. He answered, the, and this is our topic. And this is the question that I'm going to ask you now. He said to them, his disciples, you give them something to eat. Now my question to you then is, and the question to me is, have you got something to give to somebody if they are looking for something to eat. Now I know. I know this is a physical problem they had. They were looking for real food. But there is a spiritual message in this as well. Have you got something to give somebody if they are hungry? What have you got? What have you got? He says to his disciples, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give them something to eat? So what is the spiritual lesson here? First of all, these men, they overthought to think this, you know, they were in the moment, they were seeing the physical need that was there. But as I say, there is a spiritual lesson here that we need to learn. And that is what you give people. You remember Every time when Paul writes to us, even in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, when he talks about the communion table, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, he says, that which I've received, I give unto you. And I love it because Paul uses that phrase so many times. 
That which I've received, I give unto you. So Paul had something that he got from Jesus Christ himself, and he could give that to people. Spiritual sense now. What did he get? The gospel, the message. And he gave that to them about the communion, and he gave that to us. So if we look at 1 Peter chapter 3, we find the same con con uh, concept here. A spiritual concept. In 1 Peter 3.13, And who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? Now, I just don't want to jump to the verse, so I'm reading a little bit in context. But you can go back and read the whole chapter. He says, what is good? Verse 14, But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you are blessed. And do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. Now, Listen now to this verse, because this is the verse that I want to give you. The question is, what can you give people to eat? He says in verse 15, 1 Peter 3, 15, But sanctify the Lord in your hearts. In other words, set him apart in your hearts. And always. How many times? Always. And always what, Peter? And always be ready to give in defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear, having a good conscience that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. So Peter says, in our day in life when people persecute us and when they blow fires of threat against us, you shouldn't worry about those things. The one thing that you should have is you should have something to give to them if they ask the question. He says, always be ready to give a defense. This translation says a defense. Another translation says to give an account. An account, which is defending. The, the phrase here, to give a defense, comes from the Greek word ap apologia. And that Greek word apologia is made up out of two words, apo and logos. A defense of Logos, Apologia. And this is what he says. He says, when people threaten you, when they come and, and, and they want to blow fire against you, do not worry about those things, but you more so make sure, make sure that you have Apologia, a defense of the word, that you can give them this Logos. The Logos is the written word of God. To everyone who asks for your reason for the hope that is in you. He gave you and me hope. And that hope that is in us, we need to have that and give that to people. Now, bring you back now, spiritually, to what's happening here with the 5,000. Jesus says to them, he says, you give them something. And I know, I know he says to eat physical. I've said it before. But that's the thing. He's given us hope. So whenever somebody comes to us and asks of us, we've got hope to give them. And the foundation, my brother and sister, dear friend, listener, the foundation of that hope is Jesus Christ. And that foundation was laid at the cross. At the cross, at the cross where I first saw the light. And the burden of my heart rolled away. It is there by faith I receive my sight. And this is the message that we need to have.
that we need to give to those who wants an answer of us. And then he says it. He says in that verse there, with meekness and fear. With meekness and fear. Never too hard. Meekness means power under control. Uh, to give you an example, I've, I've got some grandchildren now. And one, one little Matthew is a baby. He's less than a year old. And I pick that boy up and I hold him in my arms. And whenever he sees his grandpa's face, he smiles. And he's got a beautiful smile like his grandpa. Okay, and when I look at that boy and I'm so proud, I know one thing for sure that in this big body of mine, I've got power and I can take that little boy and I can think I love him. I can think I love him by squeezing him harder and harder. And the more I squeeze him, surely I can think that he would know by squeezing him so hard that that's love. No, it's not. But because the thing is, brothers, if I squeeze for too long and for too hard, I will kill that boy. With my brute power. But I don't do that. Why? Because I've got meekness. And meekness means I take this full body of power. And I control that power so that he just nestles into my arms. And he can look at me and smile. And I use that power to caress him. This is how we should do this. So Jesus comes to them and he says to them. What? you need to do is give them food. So what will they do? They've got a little bit of sarcasm here. I want you to understand the sarc sarcasm here. Uh, they come to him and they say to him, shall we go and buy uh, 200 denarii worth of bread? Now, one denarii is the wage for one day for a soldier or a worker. So they come to him and say, 200 days worth of wages. And, and this is the first thing that mankind do is we always go and measure up against ourselves what we can offer and what we can quickly bring together and what we can gather. This is what we all often do. And they come to him and they say, what is this? You know, what, what do we do? It's a deserted place. And what do we do, Jesus? And you see, it is so wonderful that he was tasting them. He was tasting their faith. And, and God has got all the rights and the privilege to test our faith because we belong to him. And what is faith if it's not tested? What is faith if it's not tested? And faith will always be tested so that for two things, so that we can know how strong our faith is and to strengthen it even more so that we can obtain more grace and mercy from God. So he tests their faith here. He says, you're going to buy this. Uh, what will you give them? And they come and they say, you know, this money man would gather. And I love as we continue in the narrative in, in Mark chapter 6, 38. He said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. I love that. Go and see. And when they had found out, they, they said five loaves and two fish. Then he commanded them to make all sit down in groups of the green grass. So they sat down in ranks in hundreds and in fifties. You see, the wonderful thing here, brother and sister, dear friend, is that God always begin with what you have. With what you have. That's where God begins. And he wants you to understand what you have. He says to them, go and see how many loaves you've got. And these men went out. And we always 
look at what we have. We always look at, at, at the problem and we don't look at, let me correct myself, we always look at the problem and we don't look at what we have. We compare these things with each other and we always in our mind fall short. You see, but God begins with what we have. And when they came to him, they said to him, Lord, this is what we've got. Now, I've, I've got a beautiful scripture in Psalm 23, and, and I believe you know Psalm 23, because he said to them, he said, let them sit down on the green grass. And this picture came up in my mind of Psalm 23, when in Psalm 23 verse 1, he says, the Lord is my shepherd. How wonderful is it? He talks about this now, and now he talks about the shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lay down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He gets them all to sit down on this green grass. Andrew comes to him. We find this in John. In the, in the account of John actually names the man who comes to him with this answer. Andrew went out. He found a little boy who most probably had his lunch with him. Five, a big lunch for a small boy. But he had five loaves and two fish there. And Andrew come to him and he, and he says, well, this is what we have. You see, God always looked for that. We've only got this, Andrew says. And, and we find in the account of John chapter 6 verse 8. Uh, Simon Peter's brother, this is who Andrew is. There's a lad here who has five bodies of loaves, two small feet. But listen to what he says. He says, but what are they among so many? What are they among so many? There's no faith. He brings it to Jesus. And you know, let me just say, I'm not looking down on Andrew because I could have been worse. I could have been, when I found this little boy, look at his thing, I, I could have said, you go, go back to Jesus and say nothing. We found nothing. Because if you think about it, five bread and two fishes is nothing in a crowd of 5,000. So I'm not looking down on Andrew, but he came and he said what we would have said. He said what you and I would have said. He said, but what are they among so many? And Jesus didn't even answer him. But he said, go and let the people sit down on the green grass. My shepherd will lead me into green pastures. And he's starting to do that now. So let's finish the narrative. He says in verse 41, And when they had taken the five loaves and two fish, he looked up to heaven, blessed and broke the loaves, and gave them to the disciple to set before them. And the two fish he divided among them all. So they all ate and were filled. They all ate and were filled. And they took up 12 baskets full of fragments of the fish. Now those who had eaten the loaves and who were about 5,000 men. The miracle here is that Jesus starts breaking this bread. And while he starts breaking the bread, it just keeps on coming. It just keeps on coming. And he hands it out. And he hands it out. And he, and he keeps on breaking the bread. And he, and he hands it out. And that's a wonderful miracle. It is an absolutely great miracle. And as he took the two fishes, he started dividing the fishes. And as he take the fishes and pull them apart, he keeps on giving it, giving it, giving it. Until everybody, he says it, they all were filled. All were filled. He asked his disciples, he said, you go and feed them, you give them. They couldn't. So he, the master, started breaking what they had. The little they had, and everybody were filled. And this kind of made me 
think about another man in the Old Testament. A man by the name of Elijah. You remember there in 1 Kings chapter 17 when he was running away from uh, um, Jezebel and, and Ahab and there was a drought and he was running to the to this brook uh, Kirith. And once he came to this brook Kirith, he was sitting there and feeling so sorry for himself, uh, the, the Elijah, this prophet of God. And the word says that the ravens came in the morning and gave him food, meat. This is so wonderful. And at night time. So the ravens keep on coming. The ravens keep on coming. And piece by piece, they gave him some meat so that he could have strength. And when, when that came to a point where it stopped, then God spoke to him. And God said to him, stand up and go to this village. And there you will find a widow. And I want you to go into the widow. And once you come to the widow, you will have oil. And you will have uh, flour there. And the flour and the oil will not stop coming. As you bake a cake or a bread and you put more flour in, there's more flour coming. It keeps on coming. And as you put more oil in, it keeps on coming. It keeps on coming. That widow, I recall, when she looked at that, she only had a little. But you see, this is what God is looking at. The little you've had, he can do something with. Sometimes you big dreams, big dreams of things that you don't have. And your mind is there while you take your focus off of what you have. God uses those things so miraculously. And he says to Elijah, until the rain comes, that oil will keep on coming. How wonderful that would be in our economies of scale to find a product like that. Well, this is the blessing of God. He keep on breaking the bread, keep on giving it out to them. But it was the same with his nation through the wilderness. What happened there? You remember when they came through the wilderness and they started complaining about food and so on. And in Psalm 105 verse 40, the people ask, what did they ask? They were hungry and he brought quail, birds, meat. He brought meat to them. And satisfied them with the bread of heaven, the manna from heaven. What am I, what am I getting at? What, why am I going on about this? Just because of the fact, my dear brother and sister, that if you are one of his sheep, he will provide to your needs. Never have I experienced in my years and my wife's years in the ministry that God never provided for our needs. I can tell you testimony upon testimony how God provided. I can tell you about times when we made food at church and when my, my, my wife come to me and she says to me, there's too many people here, we haven't got food for everybody. That how? That I don't know. She can, she can tell you. I can't tell you. She can't actually can't. But how the food was enough to fill everybody. Everybody. How many times, sometimes in ministry when I was full time, we had no food, no food. But by evening, somebody left some food on the front door, which I didn't even know. So I know these things are true. I know it for a fact. But not just because it happened to me, because it's written in the word of God. And that is truth. He fed them all. He fed them all. Let me remind you, 
and listen as I read to you the word of God. Matthew 6.25, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor what you, about your body, what you will put on it. If life is more than food and the body more than clothing, is it? You see, there's so many worrying going on by people. And it's so easy to worry. And worry brings fear and fear brings procrastination. And fear uh, destroys faith. And this is why in Matthew he writes this down, verse 26, Look at the birds of the air, nor, uh, uh, um, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. As he fed those 5,000, as he fed Elijah, as he did it with his nation, he will do it to you. He's doing it to the birds. That's the God we serve. How wonderful. Are you not more value than they? Verse 27, which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? And the answer is, of course, no. So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither work nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. This is a beautiful passage. Matthew chapter 6, 25 onwards. You need to underline it. And when you feel a little bit down and out, read it. Open it up. Verse 30, now if God so clothes the grass of the field with which is today and tomorrow it's thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you who's much more worth to God? O you of little faith, therefore do not worry about saying what shall we eat, what shall we drink, or what shall we wear. For after all these things the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knows what you need all these things. He knows. He knows everything. He knew the need of the 5,000 exactly. He knew what he was going to do. It's not as if he was worried and, and panicking around and going, send them away. That's the easiest thing. Just send the problem away. No. He knows. Verse 33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about his own thing. Enough of a day is in his own trouble. Enough. So let's finish this morning. So they all ate and were filled. And they took up 12 baskets full of fragments and of fish. And now those who had eaten the loaves were about 5,000 men. Now some, some scholars say that it is only the men who could outrun the women and the children so far. So that this number could be correct. Others say that women and children would have joined. So it's more than 5,000. That's irrelevant. It doesn't matter whether it was a hundred or a thousand, two or five. It says five thousand, which makes this miracle so miraculous. But I presume it was more than five thousand. But it said that they ate until they were all filled. Now I've heard one one theologian say that we need to take this with a grain of salt because he believes that. When they went out and saw this little boy with his five uh, loaves and two fishes, that people brought food with them and they would just encourage them to sit down and eat their own food. Which is a foolish statement if you think about it. Well, not if you think about it, but if you read about it. Because Mr. Theologian, can I read for you what it says there? It says in verse 44 that those who had eaten the loaves were about 5,000 
and it was 43 and they took up 12 baskets full of fragments of and of the fish so if it was everybody who brought their lunch with them where did this come from i'm just asking but it's so true that god provide and also another message that we can see in that is that jesus christ wasn't just going to produce miraculously every time food no that's not how it works you see, we can't put God on a stage every time like a puppet master. We're definitely not God's puppet master. I feel inadequate even to say those words out of my mouth, but we can't put God on the stage and say, now perform, now do miracles. This is why, you know, I personally won't put up a sign outside of our church and say healing service. I won't do that because I'm not going to dictate to God who, when he heals and when not. But I will preach the gospel. And you know what's going to happen? The gospel will heal. This is the proof. Let me read you Isaiah 49 verse 10. He says, They shall neither hunger nor thirst, neither heat nor sun shall strike them. For he who has mercy on them will lead them. Even the springs of water, he will guide them. He was talking about Israel there and the restoration of Israel. So if God so cares for them, then how would he care for you and for me? I want to finish now by an account which happened shortly after this. Shortly after the 5,000 were fed, we find them coming to Jesus again. Why? Because they tasted the bread. And may I say that this bread, I believe, must have been very good. This is only uh, my speculation out of this. Bread by the bread of life. In John chapter 6, 26, we find afterwards what happened. And we'll finish with this. Jesus answered them. He says, most surely I say to you, you seek me. So what happened? Let me just give you context here. So he fed the 5,000. He went on. Okay. He walked on the water. There's a few things that happened. And then they became hungry again. And they were chasing him down now for food. They run after him again. And now Jesus finds it. But, but now, by now infiltrated in amongst them was pharisees and scribes as well so the crowd changed a bit and jesus is a master of knowing the crowd so he picked up the crowd chains and they came unto him again for food and we pick this up in john 6 26 jesus answered them and said most assuredly i say to you you seek me not because you saw the signs but because you ate the loaves and were filled you are now looking at Jesus and saying, Jesus, what can you do for me? Oh Lord, I will serve you for the rest of my life if only you do this for me. Same thing. Different words. These people are now coming to what a lot of people are doing in today's life. They come to Jesus to fill something or to give them something. He's going to give me a big house, a big boat. He's going to bless me. That's the messages you hear these days. Same thing. Those people infiltrated the crowd. They came in and amongst the sheep. They put on. They are wolves with sheep clothing on them and they stand amongst the sheep. They want a free lunch. Let it be said there's no free lunches with Christ. 
everything he do is purposely. Why didn't he just feed these people? No, he knew. He could understand the crowd. He knows your agenda, my friend. He knows your heart. He knows why you come to him. You can't hide anything from God. You can't hide any. You can hide it from everybody else. Your wife, your husband, your children, the nation, whatever. But you can't hide anything from God. He knows everything. And he's all-powerful. He's omniscient and he's uh, omnipotent. Here they come and he says, you come because you ate of the loaves. And then in verse 27, John 6, 27, he says, Do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man, you see, this is the title he uses for himself most times in the Gospels, because the Son of Man is the one who came to the earth, lived with us, and reaching out to heaven. Nobody else could but him. He says in John that I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's the one who's talking here now he says do not labor for the food which perish and that's what we do so often but for the food which endures to everlasting life which the son of man will give you because God the father has set his seal on him he, he knew exactly their hearts and I love it and he gives them that word. He says, you want this food. You, you, you're going to get hungry every single time. You're going to eat. You're going to feel satisfied. Your, your stomach's going to be empty. Your belly, you're going to come back. You eat, 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 eat. Satisfied. And that, so the cycle goes on. He says, put that aside. Look at, you, look at your soul. Look at your hunger. Come to Christ and be fed with that. Verse 28. Then they say to him, what shall we do that we may work the works of God? You see, they, they knew, they saw it wasn't only for the loaves. And now the, the, the element amongst them started pushing towards the spiritual questions now. What shall we then do the works? What labor are you talking about? You say, do not labor for the things that perish then. What is this labor then that you talk about, Christ? Makes sense. They say, what shall we do that we work the works of God? Works, plural. Jesus answered them and say, this is the work of God. I want you to see this in your Bible. Because you know me, I get tied up about words in the word. They come to him and say, what is all of these works that we should do? And let it be known that there's a lot of people in churches who preach works. Plural. You need to do this. You need to obey by that. You need to do that. They want to do the works. But Jesus come and he say to them there in verse 29, this is the work of God. Uh, singular. What? That you believe in him whom you have sent. You see, I said it so many times, dear friends, that everything in the Old Testament, all the works, is a shadow of him. Who, and it's not my words, it's, it's scriptural, it's the Bible. It's a shadow of the substance Christ. This is the work that you believe in him whom you've sent. Therefore they say to him, what sign will you perform then that we may see th that you believe you? What work, work will you do? So they're starting to catch on now. Our fathers ate manna in the desert at his written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus said to them, Moses, surely I say to you, Moses did not give bread from heaven. It wasn't Moses. It wasn't Moses. No. No, no, no. But my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is He who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. 
feeding the 5,000, they got bread, loaves that filled their belly. They run after him and he goes, there's another hunger that I want to talk to you about. And this is the only bread that can satisfy that hunger. And this is it there. He says, he who comes down from heaven and lifts to the world, give, give life to the world. In, in the gospel of John, he says, in he, he was the light who came into the world and that light was the life for men. And in 1 John 1, 14, he says, and that light came and lifted amongst us and we beheld his glory. We beheld it. We saw it full of, full of gr uh, glory and uh, grace and, and honor. Then Jesus said to him, uh, and then they said to him, Lord, give us this bread always. Ah, oh, the penny dropped. Give us this bread always. So I hunger no more. This bread from heaven. And Jesus said to him, I am the bread of life. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. I am the bread of life. Can't you see? He who comes to me shall never hunger. And he who believes in me shall never thirst. He who comes to me, to Jesus, the bread of life, he will never hunger. And he who believes in me will never thirst. So I ask you the question again. What will you give people? You give it to them to eat. What have you got? Are you empty? If you're empty, come to the bread of life today. Not tomorrow, today. Isaiah chapter 1 verse 8 and he says, Let's reason together. Though your sins were like scarlet, though it was like crimson, come to Jesus. Let's reason together and he shall make it white as snow. He will give you the bread of life and that will satisfy your hunger and your thirst. And your thirst. This is the feeding of the 5,000. The way that the word, of God, the word or Mark writes it to us. What have you learned today from that? What encouragement did you take from that today? What can you take away from this and, and apply this week to your life? In, in a state of negativity around the world with viruses and all this stuff, what can you take out of this today that builds your faith? And more so, what can you take out of this passage today to give to others? When they ask you a reason for the hope that's within you, what can you do? You see, that's the awesome responsibility that you and I have, is to give it to others. May the Lord bless you. May He keep you. In Jesus' name, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray to you because we can't go anywhere else. And Father, because you have the words of life. And we thank you for the bread of life. And we thank you, Father, for the shepherd of the sheep. And we pray during this week that you will keep everybody safe, Father. I pray that you will guide everybody. And as we wait upon the day that we will come together in, in one place, united in fellowship in Koinonia, I pray, Lord, that you keep our souls and that you will bless us through your spirit, Lord. And, Father, grow your faith in Jesus' name. Amen.